morning, everybody. You guys doing well? Good. Well, I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, Pastor Isaiah and Emily had their son, Israel. It's kind of a weak applause for having a kid. So, uh, what's what's? I think she was in labor for twenty something hours. Any other guys feel glad to be a guy? <laughs> Whoo! But they're both doing, uh, baby's doing fine, mama's doing fine, and we are just, we're, we're delighted uh, in a little Israel. So uh, last week, past, uh, Pastor Raphael spoke about, from James 1, about endurance and trials and developing patience. And uh, though patience is difficult to establish in your life, it's so necessary because it helps us walk through life. It helps us to, basically, the the, the word says, become perfect in some ways. Uh, We also know that uh, not every trial is from the Lord. How many know that sometimes we make decisions that get ourselves in trouble? Point to your neighbor and go, you know, you shouldn't have done that. (laughs) It's true. We make some bad decisions at times. And sometimes we pay the price. And in it, God can still teach us, right? He doesn't throw us away. He walks us through it. He helps us navigate it. Um, But it's better to make wise choices than bad choices. In March, we will be talking about the convictions of our church. So I'm really excited about that. Some things that we feel like the Lord is probably already doing, but we're going to concentrate and really spend some time talking about it. And uh, as we move into the future and then because we're reading through James we're not going to be able to cover every scripture verse. And so I hope that you guys are spending time in your word. If you don't like reading the Bible, you can get an app that will read the Bible to you. And so if you don't know how to get an app or anything like that, or, or you don't know where to look, we can help you put an app on your phone. But I want you to spend time in the word. We got to be able to listen to the word so that we know the Lord's voice because he speaks through his word and then he speaks to our spirit as well. So this morning, I want to talk about two things. Uh, We're going to get into James in a little bit, but I want to talk about convictions and commitments, convictions and commitments. So a conviction is a firmly held belief or opinion. And I will, I would say this. I think it's more than an opinion. That's the definition. I believe a conviction is a firmly held belief. It is life or death. It is what you truly believe at the core of who you are. That that to me is a conviction. That is a line in the sand that you won't cross. That's a conviction. And then a commitment means you're dedicated to a cause or an activity. Do you guys have those definitions? Thank you. So the commitments is dedication to a cause, activity that reflect our beliefs, their behaviors or practices. How many know that sometimes we talk about things that we don't walk out? Oh my goodness. In church, y'all are not being honest. How many, how many know that sometimes we say things with our mouths that we're not living out? Right? And I remember when I got saved. And there were things that I knew I was supposed to believe. And I would say them with my mouth, but I wasn't at a place where I was living them out. And so 
James really confronts us in some ways. He challenges us with a couple of thoughts. I like the quote by Ralph Wallo Emerson. Who you are speaks so loudly I can't hear what you're saying. And of all places, the church should be known both for what they believe, what they say, and how they live. Right? So James talks about, in, in chapter 2, two major themes. He says, you're not treating people the same. You're showing prejudice. And you're not living out what you say you believe. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Let's read from James, 1, or James 2, 1 through 4. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts today, God. I pray that you would challenge us according to our bias and our actions. And I pray, God, that you would challenge us. Help us to live out the gospel that you so clearly show in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So James is really confronting a practice in the early church. And he's saying, how can you favor one person over another? And he's using kind of an exaggerated picture. There probably were instances where there was somebody who was rich and somebody showed favor. But he's really trying to create this tension by going, you know, this rich person is going to oppress you and you're making poor people sit on the floor. He's trying to show a very clear line. And how many know, aren't you glad to be part of good news where there's no bias? Right? Y'all know you're lying too. So we're going to take a test in just a minute. And so this is a culture with true favoritism. And listen, we all have bias in our hearts and our lives. Some of it based on experience, some of it based on skin color, some of it based on gender, some of it based on hurts from the past, whatever. And Jesus is really good about challenging our bias. Okay, thank you for that. Amen. So let's take a test. Single mom with five kids comes to good news and she walks in the door and you can tell she's had a rough morning. Kids maybe not dressed perfectly, you know, wrinkled clothes. Maybe, you know, you can tell she had a struggle this morning getting the kids here. And then right next to her, Warren Buffett walks in. Who are you going to prefer? That's right. Because Warren Buffett can make all your dreams come true. Right? All right. Here's another example. And you're going to love this one because uh, this is such an easygoing um, example. President Trump and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi walk into the church. Oh, there's a lot of love in the room this morning. (laughs) Who would you dishonor and who would you honor? Right? 
I'm just going to let this marinate for just a second. (laughs) Okay, here's another example. Male and female. Do you treat one better than the other? Do you acknowledge one and not acknowledge the other? Do you ignore one and talk to the other? <laughs> Black and white are a different race. Maybe, not as, maybe it's not in church. Maybe it's somewhere else. Do you have a preference? Do you have dishonor in your heart? Do you have bias in your heart? Do you treat one race better than the other? How about nationality? Because there's some nations that, that have um, resentment against another. And I'm going to use just a couple of maybe current. Uh, India and Pakistan. They're at odds over nuclear weapons. There's South Korea and China. Maybe if you go way back, there's some World War II nations that there's frustration. And do we treat one nationality better than the other? Alabama fan and an Ohio State fan walk into church. (laughs) I feel like I need to call, have an altar call right now. (laughs) So here's the tension. It's like, how do we honor the Lord and how do we treat people without bias? Because we all look through our different lenses. And here's the other thing. How do we navigate in a culture that you guys know, you feel it, you sense it, you hear it. There, there is a growing anger. How do we navigate truth and grace? How do we stay true to the word and still have grace toward people who disagree with us without going too far grace that we lose our truth? Because there's a balance. And I, you know, there's a lot of Christians that will hide behind the truth and they'll bash whoever they can. And yet Jesus said, you can't love me and hate your brother. Or you can't love me and hate people, right? But it's getting harder and harder at times to show grace Right. And it's getting harder and harder at times to stand for truth. And it's something that we as a church have to navigate. My sister, I I love this story. When she was in third grade, she came home from school and my mom said she started pulling clothes out of her closet, sitting them on the bed. She got a trash bag, started putting them in a trash bag. My mom's going, what's going on? She started crying. And she said, there's this girl at school and she wears the same clothes every day. And all the kids make fun of her. And she said, I stood up and I looked at everybody in their face and I said, if you mistreat her, you got to deal with me. Third grade, she's a, uh, what's the, she's not a deliverer. She's a, um... all right, it'll come to me anyway. She's a protector or she's, she's that kind of person. And here's the thing is, is she took the clothes to school and the teacher met the little girl and, and uh, Chrissy and they went out and they exchanged it and the girl just hugged on Chrissy 
And it, it impacted her so greatly that she named her second daughter Nora. And that was the little girl's name. And as a church, the reason why I'm talking about this is because God is bringing groups of people to our church that need our help. So if there's somebody that is broken, how many know that you're going to have to give extra to people who are broken? That there may be times we're more inconvenienced than we want to be. Or if somebody brings somebody who doesn't have money or they're in need, that it's always going to cost us just a little bit more. And there are certain church cultures that you can create a culture that actually pushes the people that God wants you to minister to away in order to make it simple. We can do that too. And it's the kind of tension that I need you to feel. Because I want broken people to come to our church. But guess what? That's going to stress our system. It's going to stress us. It's going to stress our finances. It's going to stress our heart's capacity. And it's the very people that God wants us to take care of. But this is the gospel. Okay. Y'all remember that in a couple of months and years to come. Because here's the thing, it's, it's a lot more difficult to deal with chronic issues. And, and usually when, when poverty is in play, it's more than just the amount of money that you have in your pocket. You've got belief systems, you've got probably systematic abuse. In some ways, you've got just thought processes. There's a lot of in, in dealing with that. And so um, I, I want our church to be a place that anybody can come through the doors truth and grace, and we meet people where they are and we walk them into wholeness. That is our our goal and our plan. And the Bible talks about, he goes on, uh, James goes on to talk about, you know, for, for you will receive mercy to those who you give mercy to. And when you withhold, mercy is withheld from you. And so as a church, we need to make sure that we as Christians, as individuals, we're, we're allowing Jesus to challenge our bias. That we're being honest with ourselves. Self-awareness is huge in so many different ways. Have you ever had something in your teeth and you walked all day with something in your teeth? Somebody points it out and then you went, oh my gosh, all day I walked with spinach in my teeth, right? Well, we need to be aware of how we're, how we're seen and how we are uh, we're showing the gospel to the world around us. Jesus, show us our bias, show us our heart. And Jesus is the lens. I remember when um, I was 11 years old and uh, I went over to a friend's house and he had these vines down the road. There was a, these vines that you could swing across the creek. Oh man, that's a, that's a guy's dream right there, a kid's dream. And so we were, we were swinging across the, the creek and I re- let go of the vine. And when I landed, I landed with my wrist against the bank. Well, how many knows what happened? It broke. That's right. And I can still remember uh, the doctor taking the x-ray and holding it up to the light. Well, this morning, I want us to hold our heart up toward the light that is Jesus. Are we living the gospel? Are we living out convictions and commitments? Are we actually living out what we say? Are we dealing with the bias in our heart? All right. 
So how'd you do on your test? Pretty good? All right. Nobody said anything. So obviously there's altar call time coming. All right. Part two, James two fourteen through 18. This is what he says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give the person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. This is the, the, the truest picture of convictions and commitment. Are we actually living out what we know we're supposed to, what we believe? So James is not talking about saving faith. He's not talking about faith in Jesus, the, the, the faith that, uh, that says we're a child of God. That can only be given by Jesus. He paid the price. You can't earn it. You can't pray enough. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough to earn salvation. Everybody with me? You can't earn salvation. That is a gift paid for by Jesus Christ. And we receive that by faith. What James is talking about is are you actually living out what you believe? Do your commitments reflect your convictions? Do your actions, the fruit of your life, your behaviors, your practices reflect what you say you believe? Are you walking the talk? Are you walking the talk? And James says, some people say people have faith and others have good deeds. And he says, our faith is shown by our good deeds. Now, early in my Christian walk, there were things that I wanted to believe, but I, I wasn't at a place where I had learned how to apply those things. It wasn't part of my life. It was more head knowledge than heart knowledge. Now I, I know what I believe. I know my convictions. Now the test is, am I actually putting it into practice? And you know how life, life is busy. It's hectic. There's stuff that we deal with. It's not just really simple, but Every single day, we have to ask the question, am I living out what I know I'm supposed to do? Because here's the thing. I don't, I don't always need you to have more information. I need you to actually just obey the information that you know. In an information age where everybody wants access to more stuff, I wish you just had one thing that every week you concentrated on to apply. You would produce more fruit in your life if, if you just obeyed the simple things. Thank you. So convictions without commitments are useless. Beliefs without actions prove nothing. There's, uh, and Chris mentioned it in worship, um, I, I feel like the Lord is asking us to mind the gap. Pay attention to the areas where we say we believe something, but we're not actually living it. You guys with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Everybody here, do you have areas that you know you're not living out where you're supposed to? All right. I just want to track with you this morning. 
And I think I want that for individuals as well as church, our, our church. Good news. I want us to actually take the gospel and put it into practice. Here's the, Because I didn't grow up in a home that actually honored the word, I didn't have a place where I could see how faithfulness actually proved itself. Right? So if I grew up in a farming community and I grew up around a place that always grew corn and I saw the process and every year corn grew, I would know you plant the seed, you take care of the soil, you, you tend it and it grew fruit or it grew corn produce. Well, in my Christian walk, man, I had no consistency. So many of the things that I wanted God to do, that I wanted him to bless, I didn't have the the ability to sustain it for long periods of time. I thought it would automatically happen just because I wanted it to in my mind. But it was always connected to a series uh, of, of faithfulness on my part. Now, here's what I want you to know. God will always do his supernatural part. But there's certain things that he wants us to do with him that's part of the maturity process. Right? And so learning how to be consistent over over time is really important. And us minding the gap. Are we doing what we're supposed to and we know that we're supposed to? Are we being about it? So James goes into a story and, and... the more that you study these stories, especially from the Old Testament, you just see God's heart and you see uh, how faithful he is. James begins to tell a story about Abraham and Isaac. And for those of you who are not familiar, Abraham is a patriarch of faith. He is the father of faith. And three major religions point back to Abraham as the father of faith. That's Christianity, Jewish faith, and the Muslim faith. And they all point back to, to Abraham. And here's what God told Abraham. He, he found him. He was an idol worshiper. All right? So he, he, he wasn't a, a godly man, but he knew he was supposed to be worshiping something. So God showed up to him and said, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'm going to make a promise with you. I'm going to bless the world through you. All the nations will be blessed because of you. And here's what I'm going to do. I just want you to believe me. I'll make sure that it happens. If you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, then I'll do it. And so here's how this played out. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, couldn't get pregnant. And so for 25 years, they have to wait on this promise. Have you ever had to wait on a promise? 25 years. How many of you would have quit? Early on in my Christian walk, I would have quit. I would have have tried some other measure. I would have tried to do something else. Right? 25 years. And finally, they're able to conceive. And the Bible says their bodies were as good as dead. So it was a God thing. And they gave birth to a son named Isaac. And then a, a day comes, and I don't think Abraham had it on his radar, but God shows up to Abraham and he goes, I want you to go and I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice to me. Now in our culture, that doesn't make any sense. We don't, we don't kill babies. We don't kill people as a sacrifice. We don't, don't, you're hearing me, right? Nobody's going to kill anybody as a sacrifice to God. That's not the way that works. 
But in that culture, in a primitive culture, that kind of stuff probably happened. And so Abraham heard this and it says early the next morning, he loaded up two servants, his son, Isaac, the, the age is undetermined, but he's old enough to know what a sacrifice was. And it says they traveled for three days, three days. And on the third day, they get to the foot of the mountain and Abraham turns to the two servants and says, you stay here. We're going to worship and we will return. He knew something about the nature of God. We will return. And so they go and they, they're climbing up this mountain. And eventually they're, they're, they're building an altar. And, uh, and, and Isaac eventually starts looking around going, okay, uh, wood. There's an altar here. Hey, pops, where's the, where's the, where's the animal? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, well, the Lord will provide. And the next thing you see is Isaac allows his dad to tie him up. And it says that he was put on the altar. And and, uh, I believe that that this was in partnership with Isaac. He was uh, probably stronger than, you know, a hundred year old man. And he helped get on the altar. And at the last minute, an angel came and stopped it. And a lot of us hear this story and we go, man, there is no way I could have, I could do anything like that. But here's what I want you to know. Most of our lives are made up of thousands of little faith filled decisions that lead us to bigger moments like that. So every single day when you know there's something that you're supposed to do and you go, God, I don't want to do it, but I'll honor you in doing this. God, I know that you want me to give. I don't want to give. I don't feel like I have anything else to give, but I'm going to give. God, I know you're asking me to forgive. I don't want to forgive because they don't deserve forgiveness. But because you say it, I will forgive. And you learn to do it every single day. You're learning how to walk in obedience to the Lord. When it comes time for the big stuff, Because you've walked it out all these years, you go, all right, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I trust you. And so it's, it's building muscles. It's learning how to grow up in faith. Practical application of the Bible. It's allowing God to work on our hearts and our appetites. Hello. Knowing we're transformed because we change the way we think. We, we get into the word. We renew our minds. And then what happens is it says we're conformed to Jesus. We become more and more like him the more time we spend with him. The more we understand how he thinks, we are conformed to Jesus. And by doing so, conviction and commitments begin to meet. What seems so impossible at one time becomes possible because you're growing in your relationship with the Lord. So Abraham had already lived this entire life of obedience. And Isaac was just another example of being obedient. It's a big big example, but he was being faithful. Here's a secret. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. This is in the, the chapter on faith, the heroes of faith. And this is what it says. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. 
Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned. Another interpretation said Abraham reckoned. Another interpretation said Abram, Abraham concluded, made a decision, came to a point where he went, even if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive him back from death. So here's what you have to understand. Here's what I want us all to understand. Abraham understood that God was the author of life, right? He had conceived when it was impossible. So we all want God to produce something in us. But here's the thing. God is also the author of the resurrection. He's able to bring dead things back to life, even when it seems too far gone or it seems like it costs too much, or I don't know how it's going to work out, or the marriage is on the rocks, or my kid's far away, or the dream that you gave me is gone. God is bigger than your past. He's bigger than your parenting mistakes. He's bigger than the way you were parented. He's bigger than what you didn't get or what you should have gotten. He's bigger than your terrible boss. He's bigger than you being held back. Sometimes it's the small, consistent sacrifices that reveal our faith. He asks us something so personal that sometimes we stagger at it. He'll put his finger on our biggest fear and our deepest dreams. Maybe he asks you for the things that gives you the most security just so that you'll know that you can trust him. For moms, I really felt like I was supposed to. Some of you need to release your kids. The fear that they may turn out a certain way. Maybe some dads, you need to release your kids to the, the, the place that they're called. Maybe it's not the job that you want them to take. Personally, I've stumbled my way into growth most of my life. And the only, the, my, my only saving grace, God loves me, but it's the fact that I didn't quit. You know, I, I felt like um, Sam was, we were talking and, and as we were talking about, it, I feel like I'm supposed to share it now. Some of you guys, you've given up. James 1 says that, don't be like the person who looks in the mirror and, and, and for a time you remember how you look and when you step away, you forget who you are. Some of you guys have walked away from the faith and you've quit. You've given up. You've forgotten who God says you are. You've forgotten what God promised you and you've stopped. I have a personal conviction, and I'm going to be really, really honest with you. Messages are fine. If I get in trouble from Pastor Raphael, I'll let you know. I, I need you to understand, messages are okay. They don't change people a great deal. And for seven years now, I've wrestled mightily with preaching. Not because I don't believe in it, but it's the 
the other stuff that happens, the other 167 hours of the week that matters the most. And so I feel like so much time we spend in trying to communicate something when I actually want to take some people by the hand and go, here's how you do it. Here's how we fight. Here's how we pray. Here's how we believe. Here's how we give. Here's how we live. Here's how we serve. Here's how we change the world. Has God ever asked you or prompted you to give or serve or sacrifice or obey when you didn't understand? Forgive when you didn't want to. Surrender even when you didn't know how it would turn out. To try when you didn't want to try again. Conviction, faith helps determine your commitments. Are your commitments, are what you're doing on a regular basis aligned to what you say you believe? I want our church to live in faith and to live out our convictions. James 2.26, and we're getting close to to ending now. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. The biggest question I have for you today is this. Are you living out your faith? what you say you believe. There were three things I felt like the Lord wanted me to bring to your attention. Just, just to think here, here's my struggle as a communicator. I'm a high level kind of big picture person. So a lot of times I don't give great details. Thank God. There's a Holy spirit that speaks to you in a language you can understand, but I'm not going to be able to go through all the, the, all the lists and things for you to check your heart. But these were the three things that I feel like the Lord wanted me to share. Some people are keeping God at arm's length. You don't want to talk with God about something because you're afraid of what he was going to ask you to do. So you know there's an area that he wants access to, but you don't want to talk to him about it. You avoid it with him. Number two, There are others who feel they have waited their whole life for something that has never happened. And your heart's sick. And so you're going through the motions of faith, but you don't dare put your heart out anymore because you don't want to be disappointed or hurt or let down. And then third, there are people here that you have dreams or you have desires that your commitments, character, and life don't actually match. You say it because it sounds good, but you don't live it. And the Lord's calling you to live out what you say you believe. And He'll meet you in it. He always does, y'all. Without breath, the body dies. So without deeds, faith is dead going to ask you to stand. I know Pastor Raphael has something he's going to share in just a minute. How many would say that, that you know that God is dealing with a bias of your heart? Raise your hand. Okay. How many say that God is dealing with lack of commitment in a conviction? Raise your hand. 
In just a minute, we're going to open up the altar to allow people to come and, and maybe you will pray with somebody. Maybe you'll sit alone with the Lord and just allow him to speak to your heart. But I know Pastor Raphael has something in regards to bias that he shared in the first that I think is really important as well. So um, there was a question that God asked the first service, and, um, and I think it, it really convicted me when Pastor Jason was talking about biases, right? Um, and God asked a question, what bias do you have against me? What bias do you have against me? What are the things that you're attributing to my character that are actually based on human flaw? See, Pastor Jason said, he talked about Abraham, and he said how Abraham knew something about the nature of God. He said, you promised me this child, and you said that you will create a nation, a people from, his, from this lineage, and now you're asking me to give him to, to, to you. So when he said, me and this child were going to go worship, and we will be back, he's speaking faith. You get what I'm saying? There's something that he knew about God. So God is asking every single one of us, what bias do you have against me? Is he faithful? Is your bias? Well, God, you're not faithful enough. God, you don't love me enough. God, you were not there. God, you don't see me. God, you do not answer my prayers. God, where were you? God, you're not a provider. What is the bias that we have against God? Can we pray? God, right now, I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you, God, for your spirit working in our minds and in our hearts. God, and right now, as Abraham chose to lay his son on the altar, God, we lay every single bias about who you are at the altar. God, we lay at the altar the fact that we may not believe that you are the provider, that you are the healer, that you are the, the one that restores. God, we lay at the altar the fact that we don't believe that you have made us overcomers. God, we lay at the altar the fact that we don't believe that you love us enough, that you have forgiven us, God. We lay it all at the altar, God, and we lay ourselves at the altar as a people, as a family, as a, as a people that says, God, we choose to walk out and be about what we say we believe. God, help us by your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to ask our altar workers, a prayer team to come up. Listen, if you need prayer, pray with someone. Don't let this be another message. There's something that you heard. But partner with what God wants to do through you. We'll see you Wednesday night. God bless you.